You are listening to the sermon podcast for Salem Presbyterian Church in Winston-Salem. Thanks for listening. To learn more about our church, visit salempresws.org. That's salempresws.org. We believe preaching is best when experienced as part of the larger drama of God's people gathering. Something spiritually unique happens when God's people are together. We meet each Sunday to let the liturgy shape us, to hear preaching, and to take the Lord's Supper. And these acts are more robust when done together. Join us Sunday evenings at 5 p.m. in downtown Winston-Salem at 600 Holly Avenue. Verses 1 through 21. If you want to take a moment to turn there, there are Bibles in your pews. I'll be reading from the English Standard Version. And if you could, please stand for the reading of God's Word. Again, the passage is Acts 3, verses 1 through 21. Now Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. And a man lame from birth was being carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple that is called the Beautiful Gate, to ask for alms of those entering the temple. Seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked to receive alms. And Peter directed his gaze at him, as did John, and said, Look at us. And he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I have no silver and gold, but what I do have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and raised him up, and immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. And leaping up, he stood and began to walk, and entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw saw him walking and praising God, and recognized him as the one who sat at the beautiful gate of the temple, asking for alms. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. While he clung to Peter and John, all the people, utterly astounded, ran together to them in the portico called Solomon's. And when Peter saw it, he addressed the people, Men of Israel, why do you wonder at this, or why do you stare at us, as though by our own power or piety we have made him walk? The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers, glorified his servant Jesus, whom you delivered over and denied in the presence of Pilate when he had decided to release him. But you denied the holy and righteous one and asked for a murderer to be granted to you, and you killed the author of life whom God raised from the dead. To this we are witnesses, and his name, by faith in his name, has made this man strong whom you see and know, and the faith that is through Jesus has given the man this perfect health in the presence of you all. And now, brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did also your rulers, But what God foretold by the mouth of all the prophets, that his Christ would suffer, he thus fulfilled. Repent, therefore, and turn back, that your sins may be blotted out, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, and that he may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus, whom heaven must receive until the time for restoring all things about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets long ago. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thank you, 
So my name is Ben Milner, one of the pastors here. We're glad that you're here, especially if you're new. Um, We're looking at the book of Acts. And the book of Acts is the first book after the four Gospels because it is the continuing work of what Jesus did in the Gospels. In fact, some commentators say that the book of Acts should not be called the Acts of the Apostles, but the Acts of the Ascended Lord. Because the book of Acts is all about the ascension of Christ. That happens in the very first chapter that... The same Jesus that died and rose from the grave then ascended. And when we say ascended to the right hand of the Father, we're talking about him entering into a different dimension. Almost as if we live on a flat plane and then he enters into a a vertical dimension that we have no access to. So it's not that he went up into outer space, but he is now ruling this world uh, in another dimension. Um, We don't know from where. That probably question doesn't even make sense from where. But he is ascended he is now and he has a full authority over all of heaven and earth this crucified risen man and now what he does is he sends out his holy spirit that's in acts chapter 2 at pentecost and he makes his church into this living temple the temple of the living god which is his body and so we are his body and what we do is that we bear witness to him as the body that is our job description the, 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 the church in the book of Acts is a living temple that bears witness to the reign of Christ. So when people see the church, they should say, Jesus must reign over the world because of what's going on in that. That doesn't make any sense what's happening there. And so there must be some Lord that is reigning over the world, and that's Jesus. So um, we are the living temple. And the temple, when you went to the temple in the Old Testament, the Holy of Holies, you were supposed to feel like you were walking back into the Garden of Eden. It had imagery. It had um, these cherubim that looked like the cherubim in the Garden of Eden. It had these flowers and palm trees uh, that were scrolled onto uh, the fabric in the temple. It had uh, the menorah, which was like the tree of life that was in the temple. All these images, you're supposed to feel like you're walking back into the Garden of Eden. And the refreshment that you would feel in the Garden of Eden, you were supposed to feel when you went into the temple. So if we're the living temple, then there should be a refreshment that comes and I've felt it before in walking into churches. You walk in, you feel the presence of the Holy Spirit. You feel the refreshment of being in the temple. And when we traveled to Hawaii, I had the, the great um, gift of being able to go to Hawaii one time, uh, which was the most beautiful atmosphere I've ever experienced in my life. And when we got out of the Honolulu airport, you can literally feel a difference in the air. Uh, you can feel um, something about it is incredibly refreshing. Of course, you hear the sound of the birds, and you smell something tropical, uh, fruit or something like that. But it's kind of like the atmosphere of the Honolulu airport is supposed to come into, like the ceiling being ripped off and some kind of new atmosphere. Some refreshment is supposed to come when someone enters into the church. Or some, it doesn't have to be a building, it can be a house, it can be some gathering of Christians. But that's what verse 20 is talking about, that right now, Uh, Peter is saying right now that the refreshment is supposed to be happening here and now on earth by the power of the Holy Spirit through the witness of the church. And that one day that refreshment that is temporary and occasional is going to be a flood like the, the entire ceiling caves in and the entire atmosphere becomes Hawaiian. And so there's the time of refreshing and then there's the restoration of all things. And if you notice, when Susie read that, you had both of those in that last part. You have the times of refreshing now, and then you have the full restoration of everything. That the times of refreshing are simply a a preview of. It's an appetizer. So first, the refreshing. 
Verse one, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer. Now, last week we saw that they were at the temple a lot. In fact, if you look at Acts chapters two through seven, they are in the temple 12 times. So it keeps mentioning the fact that the church is going to the temple. And I used to think, are they confused? Do they not realize that the temple is not where the glory of God is anymore, that they are where the glory of God is? And no, they're not confused at all. Um, They're not the least bit confused. They're going to the temple because they're saying, that's not the temple anymore. That's a dead temple. That's not where the Holy of Holies is anymore. We are the living temple. And so they come to the temple as a witness. And it's the kindness of God that God would send his people to the temple steps and show the people in the temple, this is the new temple. These people. It's not a building anymore. It's this group of people. And so in verse 2, it says, a man lame from birth was being carried, who they laid daily at the beautiful gate of the temple. That's one of the entrances of the temple, which was obviously beautiful. So an especially beautiful entrance. And he came there to ask alms. So he's begging the people who are entering into the temple. And this is why we need refreshment, because this happens every day all over the world on the steps of many churches, temples, mosques, that there are people that are begging um, who are not well. People who are, um, their, their legs don't work like this man or their mind doesn't work or uh, their shoulders don't work or whatever it is. But this is the beautiful gate of the temple of the living God. And there is a broken body of an image bearer who is begging. And that's not right. That's not refreshing. That's why we need refreshment. Because we live in a dry and weary land where there is no water, as the psalmist says. Um, and he can't get in the temple. That's, that's not right. He's not supposed to be blocked from the temple. He's supposed to be in the temple to be healed. But he is out there every day, it says. He was daily laid at the gate of the temple. And he never took a step in his entire life. And that's not the way things are supposed to be. That's why we need refreshment. I, um, I have this thing called the Panera Sip Club, which I'm not fully responsible for, so don't blame me for that. It's a thing where you can go to Panera every two hours and get a drink, whatever drink you want, however large you drink you want. And I, I uh, use that um, quite a bit uh, because there's a Panera near our house, which is a dangerous thing. Um, and I highly recommend the Sip Club. But um, the thing about that Panera is um, every time, if you know that Panera near uh, the hospital, it's at Cloverdale and Miller. And whenever I go in that Panera, like without fail, there's someone in there uh, who needs refreshment. That uh, someone who is struggling. In fact, I know some of these folks by name because I've been there so many times and they're often there and uh, they need a great deal of help. Uh, they're not getting the SIP club. They are um, struggling and they often ask for money or, or for me to buy something. And I'm like, let's go to a subway. <laughs> Not Panera, but um, the, um, the people that are there are, are hurting terribly. And, um, and if you work in the hospital, if you, if you are in the, uh, the ER, the ED, uh, OR, waiting room, uh, if you work in healthcare at all, you see the deep need for refreshment. If you, if you uh, teach in a high school, someone was just telling me who teaches at a local high school that the, literally there's, you can smell the drugs. You can, um, you can witness this is like a teacher, and you walk down the halls, you go in the bathrooms, and it's things, there's a deep, deep need for refreshment 
in our schools or at a, at a party. You go in a bathroom at a party, you know, uh, whether it's high school, college, whatever party, and there's a clear need for times of refreshing uh, that need to come. And Peter and John, they look at this man, which is, I think, a very important part of, of healing his shame because he's not only needing to be healed like physically, but he needs deeply to be healed emotionally because nobody ever looks at this guy. And so I love the fact that they take time to look at him. And Jesus does that a lot in the Gospels. It says he looked at him. So one thing you can do for somebody who's at a street corner or at Panera who are in need is to look at them. And just look at them and say hi. And even if you're not going to give them anything, just look at them. That helps. Because they looked at this guy. In fact, they said to this guy, look at us. Because they were looking so intently at him. So don't miss the fact that if you're in some kind of service industry, um, if you're in healthcare, if you're a counselor, look at people. He says, look at us. And he wants the man to make eye contact to see the refreshment of God. And then Peter says, I don't have silver and I don't have gold. And I know that's what you think you need, but that's not what you need. He's like, I've got what you need. Verse six. And he says, it's not us. I love that he says it's not us uh, because that's not what people need. They don't need you. They don't need me. In fact, Peter says, why are you staring at us as though it is by our own power or piety that this man walks? It's not about us at all. So don't think that you're the answer to someone's refreshment, but something in you, if you are a believer, there is the Holy Spirit in you, and that is the answer. All the refreshment comes from the, the king of resurrection, because resurrection is the epitome of refreshment. And so in verse 6, it says, in the name of Jesus, rise up and walk. And I love the fact that the name is so important. I don't know what it is about the name of Jesus, but I think if you translate it, no matter what language you translate it into, I mean, obviously... Uh, you know, the, 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 just Jesus, saying the word Jesus if you're in another country is not going to do something because they're not going to know what you're talking about. But there's something about the name of Jesus, whether you speak it in any language at all. And I don't know how people know about it, but it has power. There is something with power inherently in the name of Jesus. In fact, in the Old Testament, the word name sometimes does things. It's like God's name just by saying Yahweh. Things happen. His name is so strong that when they mention it, It physically heals the man. Verse 7, you see the physical power of the name of Jesus. He took him by the right hand and he raised him up. And Peter does this not knowing for sure if anything's happened. He's so confident that he just picks him up, not knowing what happened to the guy. I mean, what if the guy's legs don't work and he picks him up? That would be incredibly embarrassing. There's all these people watching. But he just picks him up, verse 7, and the name is repairing this guy's, whatever was happening in his bones or ligaments, Whatever's going on that's died, whatever scar tissue, with this supernatural velocity, it's healed. I mean, I'm, I'm assuming this could happen through modern medicine, but something is happening by the name of Jesus where the heavens are pouring into the earth, that Jesus from heaven is healing. And immediately, it says in verse 7, immediately, and I would love to see a video of what's going on inside of this man's feet and his ankles. Immediately, his feet and ankles were made strong. They are quickly uh, reattached in such a way that he pops right up. So the name of Jesus has power, and that is the refreshment of God on this man. Look me in the eyes and then lift him up, and he's healed. And I think that I wonder, as I was studying this, I wonder if we believe that this stuff still happens. There is a strain 
There's a group of people within our, our denomination. We, I, we're a Presbyterian church. And people who come out of that um, tradition sometimes act like miracles don't happen anymore. Like this could never happen anymore. Like something happened in 100 AD and like the dome of heaven closed and so nothing's getting in here anymore to heal. And I just think that's not the case at all. In fact, I don't think that's the best Presbyterian tradition at all. I think that's a, 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 a tradition of Presbyterianism that's gone wrong. Um, I was in the uh, ER at Baptist on August 22nd, 7.15 p.m., just gotten off the phone call with one of you, and uh, all of a sudden, um, there was this massive pain in my chest. I've, a lot of you know this. Um, I had suddenly an IV in both arms, and I was waiting, and the pain was growing, and uh, I did not know um, how long I was going to be there. It was, uh, it was incredibly, um, yeah, the pain was growing. Uh, I didn't know what was happening. I was feeling like uh, probably I'm not going to get out of this hospital in the same way I came in. I can't imagine that I will leave this hospital because I knew I was having a heart attack. And I could tell it was probably pretty bad given the pain. But as they wheeled me back into the OR, and it just happened that the head of the um, the, the surgical team was there at that time, even though it was 715. Um, I saw my friends as they wheeled me around. I looked over to the right, and there was a waiting room, and there were friends of mine that were praying. I knew they were praying. And it, it, it felt like I went in that room, and it felt like the atmosphere had, had honestly changed. And I knew they were praying for healing. I knew they were. And, uh, and I, heard a lot, I heard later that a lot of people were, were praying for healing. And... Um, and the, the, the thing that happened in my heart just should not have happened. I mean, the, uh, the extent, the fact that I got out of the hospital was really literally nothing I had to change in my lifestyle or diet or anything. And my heart still, the ejection fraction was about the same. There was literally no damage to the heart at all. Even though it was a total occlusion for like over an hour, it just didn't make any sense. And I don't know medically, you know, what happened, but I know that the same Jesus that healed that man healed my heart. I know that. And, uh, and I know that all of you either know someone or you had that happen. And that happens. I'm just going to tell you that happens. So, you know, some of you have stopped acting like it does happen. And you've stopped praying for things like that. And you have given up on the miraculous. You've given up on what the book of Acts calls signs and wonders. I think signs and wonders is a better term than miracle. Because sometimes we're like, well, that wasn't really a miracle. Because the doctors did that. Or that would have happened anyway. So forget about the word miracle. Let's just say it's a sign and a wonder. It's a sign and wonder that Christ is reigning from heaven. And that's part of his refreshment. He's witnessing to his reign on earth. So I'm telling you this has not stopped happening. And that we need to pray for it. And it doesn't have to be physical healing. But it could be in your office space. Um, it could be in a classroom you teach in, in a dorm room. On your neighborhood. But there's any place where there is uh, dreariness and dryness and weariness, uh, we need to pray for signs and wonders. It says in verse 10, they were filled with wonder and amazement at what happened. And, and that should still be happening today. Wonder and amazement. It's so magnetic that in verse 11 says he clung to Peter and John. I had never noticed that detail till this time. But I love the fact that he, he would not let them go. Um, and not only was he clinging to Peter and John, but the entire crowd ran to Solomon's portico in verse 11. So it's magnetic. It keeps him there and it draws them there because it is so wonderful and amazing. And as part of our witness to Christ, we should tell these stories of 
times of refreshing that have come. Think about times of refreshing in your life that have happened and tell that story as a witness. Bear witness to Christ. So that's the first point. Uh, The second point is that the time of refreshing is not the point. Okay, the time of refreshing may or may not happen. We're all going to die. Okay, we're all going to die. So that means that the time of refreshing doesn't take care of that problem. Because even though we're refreshed, it's going to end in death. This crippled man died. He died. So um, even Lazarus, who was raised from the dead, he died. So the time of refreshing is not enough. It is a preview. It's a great preview, but it's a preview of the restoration of all things, which is the real juice in this passage. Verse 21, the times of refreshing have come until the time for restoring everything. And then Peter says, and by the way, the prophets have been telling you this for thousands of years. You should have known about this. Because the time of restoration, it's going to happen just like the prophets told you. Whether that be Moses or the Psalms or Isaiah or Jeremiah or Ezekiel or Micah, you have been promised that this thing would be restored. And when the, when the prophets talked about the time of restoration, please hear this, they were not talking about heaven. Okay, It's not about heaven. It's about this planet being restored. It's about the physical world, the biological, the green, organic matter. It is about these things, our hands, our feet, our shirts, our hair, our minds, our brains. The prophets don't have anything that is not physical in them that has to do with the restoration of all things. It's just not in there. And so the way we think about heaven is such a a minimization of the way scripture talks about the restoration of all things. Listen to Habakkuk 2.4. This is kind of the ultimate depiction of the restoration of all things. This is the prophet Habakkuk writing in a terrible time. A terrible time in the history of Israel where everything looks like it's going to hell. And Habakkuk says, And yet one day the earth will be filled with the glory of God as the waters cover the sea. And he's not joking. I mean, he's not saying, and that's really just a metaphor for heaven. He's like, no, this earth, this planet, because the prophets thought in terms of this world, is going to be filled with the glory of God as much as the seabed is filled with water, seawater, with oceans. That um, this world is going to be completely filled with God's glory. So, you know, for instance, there were four million believers in China filled with the Holy Spirit in the year 1958. In 2030, there's going to be 247 million people in China who are filled with the Holy Spirit. And that's part of the earth being filled with the glory of God as the waters cover the sea. In Africa, there were 9 million Christians in 1900. Now there are 540 million Christians. And I'm saying that uh, this is not going to stop happening. There's not going to be like this suddenly. It's just going to end. Uh, The restoration of all things is part of the earth being filled with the glory of God as people are filled with the Holy Spirit, coming to know him. And then Micah, also writing in very tough times when the Assyrians have invaded and are about to destroy the entire country of Israel, Micah says, and yet one day there will come a restoration where every single human being is going to sit under his own vine, his own fig tree, and no tyrant's going to come and steal their vine. No one's going to steal their fig tree. No government's going to confiscate land. There's going to be no slave labor producing food for other people. Everyone's going to have their own property and enjoy it. And he's not talking about heaven. He's talking about this world 
where something like that's going to happen on this planet. That's the restoration of all things Peter's talking about. Jesus called it the renewal of all things. And here's Isaiah 35.3, another prophet, talking about the restoration of all things. Isaiah says, God will make firm the feeble knees and he will make the lame leap like a deer. What does that sound like? God will make firm feeble knees and make the lame leap like a deer. That's exactly what's happening in this story. It's as if the writer of the book of Acts knew about Isaiah and was writing this story to make that up, but he didn't make it up. That really happened. Because that is a part, that is a preview of the final time when everyone who's lame is going to leap like a deer. And there will be no knees that are feeble because this man is a preview of the promise of Isaiah 35, that everything's going to be restored. This man who was ignored and unseen and powerless and dishonored. In verse 8, he is walking and leaping and praising God. And I always hear that child song in my head whenever I read that, walking and leaping and praising God. And much, much more to come, even after he dies. So I think about the restoration of all things, and I think about how if you're a believer in Christ, your story is going to end with the restoration of all things. And we've got to remember that. That all of our stories are going to end with the restoration. And I'm talking about the restoration of everything in your life that's gone wrong. will be restored. And I was thinking this week a lot about being cut from the basketball team in high school three times. Now, I went into high school with my basketball ability. I'm tall. And so um, my basketball ability is the thing that kind of gave me any kind of notoriety. So I try out for the JV team my freshman year, absolutely certain I'm going to make the team, just wondering whether I'm going to start or not. And I'm, I go up and I see the final roster and my name's not on it. And partly because I just blew so many layups because I was so nervous about trying out. I mean, I played with these guys my whole life in gyms around the city and uh, beat them easily. And yet when it came to tryouts, I got cut three times. Freshman year, sophomore year, junior year, Senior year is like, I'm not going to try that again. Um, and I still have nightmares about missing layups and, and, and seeing the final roster. And that was really heavy with me this week for certain reasons. Um, but I believe that, you know, the, the book of Joel says that God will restore the years that the locusts have eaten. He's talking about a famine where Israel had a lot of locusts come and destroy their crops. And somehow Joel, the prophet Joel says, somehow... All those years that you lost all that crops, God is going to restore those years that the locusts have eaten. And I don't know how yet, fully, but I do know that that time that was so miserable, and that plummeted me into a lot of misery in high school. It really affected me. Um, And that somehow those years, there's going to be restoration. And that's happening even now through some kind of refreshment. I mean, I know that um, the way I parented my children about sports And uh, the way that I did not drive them too much or demand things, the way that I was grateful for whatever happened, there was a certain level of humility that would not have been there. If I had not, if I had made those teams, I would have been insufferably arrogant. I was arrogant enough already. But I know that part of the years the locusts of Eden had been restored. He will restore the years the locusts. And that is happening in my life now. And it's going to fully happen one day. And that story about being cut three times is going to be a beautiful part of my whole life story. And the same thing is true of you. Whatever happened to you in your life, often in adolescence, by the way. So I wouldn't be surprised if it was there. But what would it be like to know that that story is going to end in restoration? I mean, that would change the way you would tell that story. In fact, you might actually tell someone that story that you've never told anybody because you knew that it was going to lead to restoration. And that's a powerful witness.
And what if it wasn't just about sports or recreation, but what if all the relationships you had with people that had been destroyed by one thing or another, whether it's a spouse or a brother or two brothers or a daughter or a coworker, just shattered. You know, we've all had that, surely. Uh, relationships that have been shattered. And what if those things were going to be restored too? I mean, especially those things, really. The, the basketball stuff and the man with the ankles, uh, that's not as important as the relationships. And that's where the real magic happens, is that we know if you're a believer, you know that God is always going to work to reconcile every single relationship. So whatever relationship you're in with anyone, no matter how broken it is, he is working to get it all back together. Always. So you might not want to ever be reconciled to that person. And I'm not saying you have to move that direction right now, but just know this, that he is always bringing everything. And unless you resist the process of reconciliation forever and are destroyed, because nobody could exist in the new creation who is completely uninterested in reconciliation, but unless you resist this forever, God is just going to bring them all together. He's going to reconcile everyone. You're going to be reconciled to whoever that is, and that's where that story is going to end. Now, the ultimate restoration of everything is verse 15, where Peter says, you killed the author of life, but God raised him from the dead, which is such an amazing phrase. You killed the author of life, but God raised him from the dead. The one who gives life to everything, the one who makes plants grow, the one, the son of God who invented animals, invented antelopes and zebra and Hippopotamus, the son of God who thought up the idea of people, the author of life, the one who decided that a bluebird would be that color or the ocean would have that texture, the author of life, the son of God, incarnate in the person of Jesus, you killed him. You killed him. But the good news is the author of life cannot stay dead because life is more powerful than death. And that is how everything's going to be restored is because he restored. If he can break through death, he can break through anything that's ever happened to you. And he exploded out of the grave. And even as we killed the author of life, the author of life was raising us from the dead. And so... Remember, we love these rascals.